I was thinking in preparation for today's message of being All Saints Sunday, uh, Halloween, All Hallows Eve, why did I get picked? And when I looked it around at the age of our staff, I thought, well, I must be the closest one to crossing over, so it's probably on my mind more than others. So I think that's why I'm here anyway. So, um, so today is, I know we call it Halloween. I, the, the traditional way of saying it is All Hallows Eve, referring to the evening before All Saints Day. Uh, in the Protestant tradition, we don't typically have an All Saints service on All Saints Day, November 1st, but what we do recognize is we call this on the Protestant calendar uh, All Saints Sunday. Tomorrow is All Saints Day. It's a day that not just all the famous saints that are remembered, but it really is a time when the church recognizes a connection, a connection that exists between those who are living currently in the faith and those who have joined that great cloud of witnesses. It's a day that we remember that through Christ there is a connection that exists that even death can't separate, and that we are still connected with them. And yet, when we think of those who are no longer with us, it's hard for us to not think about the pain we feel because of their absence. For me, the truth of the matter is, is that no matter how many wonderful memories I remember of my times with my father, with each one of those memories comes a pain that he's not with me anymore. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to visit my aunt and uncle, and about a mile and a half from their home is where we laid my father to rest. And I took time in the afternoon while I was there, and I went and spent time with dad. And I will tell you that while I stood there at his graveside, there was a part of me that hurt and pain, and I cried. But before I left that cemetery, I said, Dad, I can't wait to see you again. You see, grief is a painful thing. And despite the desire to no longer grieve, it just doesn't go away. Some will say that maybe we just need to learn to move on in life, and eventually we learn to cope um, with the other person not being there. But I want to tell you, as, a, as was already mentioned, licensed professional counselor, that grief is something that we will struggle with when we lose all of our lives. It's a real pain. And yes, we may learn to, phys to go on physically uh, when the other person is physically not there, but there is a real empty hole that is left that we know never quite gets feel filled. What's been interesting to me over the years is that I've looked at our, the, the, the climate of our current culture, and it seems like, especially with the advent of, of social media, that we will talk about anything in our world. We will talk about anything, stuff that I remember growing up as a good Nazarene boy, you didn't even think about, let alone talk about, is plastered all over Facebook anymore. But what I find really interesting is, is that there's one subject that really doesn't get much airtime, and that's the subject of death. It's interesting to me how people will go into lengthy Facebook conversations about all kinds of things, but when we mention that someone has died, pretty much the conversation is, sorry for your loss, we're praying for you. 
But yet what really astonishes me about this is that of all the subjects that we talk about, the one that every single person sitting in, my, in this room, every single person viewing online is, is that death will happen to you. All of those other subjects may or may not, but death will happen to you. This Wednesday, I was asked to write for the, the Table Life Weekly News, the email that goes out, and I quoted in there uh, theologian Paul Tillich, and he, he made a very interesting statement. He said many years ago that anxiety, and what the anxiety that we feel is the, actually rooted in the fear of death. Now, what he was referring to, in, as you read further in that statement, was that there is this reality the reality is, is that from the moment that we are born and take our first breath, the countdown towards our death begins. But what is death? Is, is it just that the body stops and there's, there's, there's no more breathing, no more heart beating? Or is there something more about dying? Could it be that each time we feel overwhelmed with life and we don't know what to do, could it be that when there are times whenever there's more bills than there are paychecks? Could it be that that knee that we injured long ago or that arthritis in our shoulder that flares up when it gets rainy outside? Could it be that nagging reminder that, that our bodies never quite heal fully and that it's a reminder that we're falling apart, that life is stressful, that it sucks the joy out of us? Could it be that maybe in those moments we realize that life is trying to kill us? Well, today's gospel story that I'm going to share with you here in just a moment comes to us as a story about the life of Jesus. And in that story, Jesus learns that a, a close friend of his succumbs to illness and dies. It is a story, however, I want to suggest about what I'll call, as a football fan, a pre-season showdown between Jesus and, the, and every human being's enemy, death. And so, can I have a sermon or a bulletin? <laughs> I just realized that. In my haste going from discipleship class, I forgot to grab the most important thing. <laughs> so I invite you to, if you would, stand with me for the reading of our gospel text found in John chapter 11, beginning at verse 22. Jesus said to him, or she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with, with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead for four days. I love that King James Version here. Behold, he stinketh. (laughs) Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here, I'll give you this back, Jen. Thanks. (laughs) So, what an interesting story. Now, we didn't read the whole story because that would have taken a lot of time. But the story starts with Jesus getting the news that Lazarus is sick. Verse 4 of this chapter, if you have your Bible, you, you go all the way back. Jesus actually tells the disciples, Lazarus isn't going to die. It's, 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 it's very interesting because we just read Lazarus died. But Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus isn't going to die. Now, what, what you don't necessarily know, but you read in in the conversation is, there have been some, some Jews out trying to get Jesus. There's been threats of capturing Jesus and stoning him. And so they've been kind of laying low for a little while. And so when, when they gets this news, of course, the tension rises up. Does Jesus put himself at risk and publicly expose himself to go to Lazarus? Or does he stay hidden and send them a Facebook message that says, hope he gets better? Well, the reality is, is that He delays four days, and John says he did it on purpose. He purposely waits. Then he tells them, it's time to get up, guys. We need to go. Uh, Lazarus um, is sleeping. And and it's really funny. If you think about it in a humorous way, use your imagination. The disciples are like, well, if he's sleeping, then let him sleep. He's fine. Let's just stay here and stay safe. And Jesus has to speak plainly, and he says to them, Lazarus is dead. And Thomas says one of the most comical things in this whole story. Now, in the Bible, it it sounds real nice and soft, but this is how I kind of see it. This is my imaginative uh, embellishment, is that Jesus tells them, okay, he's dead, Let's let's go to the family. They're all thinking we're at risk. And so Thomas speaks up and says, sure, why not? Let's just get killed too. Then we'll all be dead together. Let's just go expose ourselves and get caught. But they go. And it says, John tells us that as they travel along, the first person they encounter is Martha on the road. She runs out, she meets them, uh, hears that he's coming, and she runs out and meets him. It's interesting, in the exchange that takes place between them, Martha makes this statement. She says, Lord, 
if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you wouldn't have delayed four days, if you would have gotten here before he died, it wouldn't have happened because we know you could have healed him. It says that moments later after this conversation between Martha and Jesus, Martha gets up, runs back to the house, tells Mary, Jesus is here. And that's where we picked up in our, our passage. She, he, Mary comes out of the house and, and, and she goes out to where Jesus is. And the first thing that you hear out of Mary's voice is, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The story goes on even further, is that when Jesus approaches the tomb and there's these crowd of mourners standing there all around, some of them were like, oh, look how moved he is. He's so sorrowful. He's sad that his buddy Lazarus died. But some of them were like, look, this guy could open blind eyes. He could have kept this man from dying. Almost saying the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. Now, what's interesting is the response that Jesus has to all of these criticisms about him not being there. He could have easily said, well, you know, guys, the Jews were coming to get me. They were going to stone me. We kind of had to lay low, and we got delayed, and I'm really sorry about this. But what I find interesting is that we read in the passage that he was greatly disturbed and deeply moved. Well, if you read Eugene Peterson's version of the Bible, the message, he goes a little bit further. He says, Jesus was angry. Angry. What's interesting about that translation, as I looked into it further, is that this is actually a translation that was, was accepted by many German scholars all the way back to Martin Luther. They believed in their understanding of Scripture that when Jesus encountered all of this, that Jesus' greatly disturbed mood was, he was mad. He was angry about their response. Why would Jesus be angry? Why would, why would Jesus have that kind of emotion? You see, earlier in his conversation with Martha, she's talking about the fact that her brother has died and, and all of these kind of things that have happened. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though they died, yet they shall live. And then he asked her this question. He says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. And she does like a lot of us good Nazarene Protestant types do. She quotes the theology of the day. Well, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that in the, in the resurrection, everybody will come back to life. She, she follows the party line. Yes, Lord, in the resurrection. And then he encounters Mary. Then he encounters the crowd. And Jesus is trying to say something to them that's really important, is that I am the resurrection. I am the life. 
You're looking death in the face thinking it's the final word and life is standing right in front of you. You have seen me heal blinded eyes. You've seen me raise people from the dead. You've seen me turn water into wine. And I'm standing right in front of you and you give me the party line and say, well, yes, Lord, in the resurrection, I believe he'll be alive. The whole crowd has bought into something that many of us have bought into. Death is the most powerful thing in the world. We do everything we can to avoid death. Now, before I say this, I don't want to be misunderstood. I am not about to suggest that we can eat McDonald's three times a day. I am not about to suggest that we could ignore exercise. I'm not about to suggest that you could go live wild and crazy and everything's going to be okay. But what I am saying, eat as healthy as you want, exercise as much as you want, do as much self-care as you want. The one reality in our life is we are all going to die. And they all stood around this tomb and they knew that Lazarus had succumbed to the enemy, that powerful enemy of death. And they didn't understand why Jesus didn't come. Why didn't Jesus come and heal him before it was too late? But now there's no chance. Well, Jesus, I don't know. And I had a hard time figuring this one out. If Jesus was really angry, did he, did he raise Lazarus from the dead because he was like, I'll show you? Or was there something that in Jesus' anger, his compassion overcame him and he acted on their behalf anyway? I often think of the Apostle Paul's statement, tell my clients this a lot. It's not that you can't get angry. It's be angry and do not sin. Act right. And Jesus was there on the scene, maybe very angry with the fact that nobody was getting it. And he walks up and he says, roll the stone away. Boy, that sounds familiar. Roll the stone away. He rolls the stone away and he shouts in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, what's really interesting, and use your imagination here, because this is a great Halloween picture. Okay? Mommy. Mommy shuffling out of the tomb. I'm thinking all these mourners, they're there crying, right? They're like, ah, you know, whenever, whenever the mummy comes walking out of the tomb. It's really, really kind of a crazy thought, isn't it? But you know, and, and, and I bought the thought, how did he get out of the tomb? Like, did he just stand up and walk out? But he was wrapped in burial clothes. So I looked into this a little bit. It's rather interesting, is that John even goes so far as to give us the details of his burial clothes. And the way they would bury people who passed away in first century Judaism is they would take a cloth and they would lay it out on the table and it would be at least twice as long as the body. And they would, they would take the, the cloth and they would lay the person out and they would grab the other end of the cloth and they would fold it back over the head, back to the feet. Then they would take rope and bind it around the ankles and then they would take another band of cloth and bind the arms together. So... Lazarus could have shuffled like this coming out. 
Like, could you imagine standing there and hearing these feet going on the stone? And here comes this mummy out. But he also, and, and John takes note of this, he also had a facial cloth still on his face. The importance of that burial cloth was in the Jewish time, unlike other pagan customs that existed, not only did they, did they, they tie the dead's ankles to hold the burial shroud on, but also they would take and place this cloth over their face in order to hide the reality, take the shame of death away from the dead body. It was there to, to cover it, to keep death at bay, but it was also a reminder that death is real, it is powerful, and it takes us. What's, what's another very interesting thing that's kind of like an aside is that if you were wealthy, they didn't use the burial cloth. They would take uh, jewels and, and other things and cover the face with jewelry and, and adorn the face so that if you saw them in the crypt, that, that you would see nothing but this beautiful jewelry kind of, of image. But for the poor, they put an extra face cloth on to hide the blackness of death that had overtaken that body. The truth of the matter is, is that when Lazarus comes out, <clears throat> that face cloth is still on him. John suggests, and many scholars who follow, that it's John's way of saying that Lazarus will die again. That the death cloth is still on him. That the shroud, the, the power of death to take his life is still there. This is not a resurrection story, by the way. This is a resuscitation story. There wasn't an eternal resurrection that took place here. Jesus brought him back to life. Lazarus will die again someday. Lazarus is alive for now. In fact, another chapter over, we're going to see that there was a big party that was going on uh, with, with Lazarus and his family and Jesus. Part of it was probably celebrating the fact that Lazarus was back from the dead. Interestingly, the Bible does not tell us, nor does history tell us much about Lazarus' next death. I imagine he was changed, though, because he saw something that nobody else saw. He had been through death, and he was able to realize the reality of what Mary and Martha and the crowd couldn't get, that Jesus is life, and he brought life back. I guess maybe I was wrong. This isn't really a story about death. It's a story about life. It's actually a story about the life, Jesus. In Christ, death loses. Death is not the final word. Death is not the end of it all. In John's gospel, there's one more death. One more death that we're going to read about. The death we sang about this morning. It's Jesus' death. It's him being taken and, and, and tried and accused and then brought before uh, various government officials only to be sentenced to crucifixion. And, 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 and we, during Holy Week, we talk all about the, the agony of Jesus' death and the torture of Jesus' death. But in John's Gospel, he takes us through all of that and then he takes us to that first Easter Sunday morning. 
And he gives us an account of what both he and Peter saw when they arrived at the tomb. And it goes like this. Simon Peter arrived after him, meaning John, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloths lying there, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but separate, neatly folded by itself. In that act, in that moment, in that, that, that realization that if Jesus was resurrected for all eternity, he ripped the grave clothes off, you know, kicked the rope off of his feet, tore the, 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 the piece loose so his hands could get free, and he reached up, and he grabbed that facial mask off, and he folded it neatly, and he said, death, you lose, life wins. And from that moment on, every believer who is a follower of Christ, we can look death in the face and say, this is not the end. There is more life coming. Death is not the final word. Jesus says, I win, and death, you lose. And on All Saints Day, the church has for centuries now celebrated the fact that there is an eternal connection that sticks between us and those who have left, those who are gone but still alive in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want this to sound like pie-in-the-sky, sweet-by-and-by escapism here, that somehow we could just get past the harsh realities of life and death because Jesus is the resurrection. I, I want you to pay close attention that in his conversation with Martha, he even makes the statement, even though they die, he does not deny the human reality of death, but he goes on and talks about something that is bigger than life and death. And that is for every believer to know that beyond the confines of this existence that there is life waiting for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Apostle Paul even suggests that as a Christian, in some ways, we die daily because of the pressures of this world. We do a lot of things to to stay off death. As I mentioned, we, we try to eat healthier and, and we do self-care and we do all of those exercise and things. But the reality is, is that we will never escape death. Death is unavoidable. But that is not actually the question for us this morning. The question is, right here, right now, how are you living the life that you have been given? Are you living it believing that death no longer has power over you as a follower of Christ? Are, are you living in a way that says that death is not the final word? We all face the same question that Martha faced when she met Jesus on the road. She looked through tear-filled eyes, grieving the loss of her brother, and through those tears, she looked into the eyes of the resurrection and the life, and they look back at her and ask her this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that death has no power over you? Well, the church does. Has for centuries now. And they gather on All Saints Day to remember the connection 
that bond, that unbroken uh, uh, connection between the saints who are with us and those who are waiting for us when the kingdom of God finally arrives. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth of the matter is that on All Saints Day, we celebrate life. We celebrate the fact that while others who, who refuse to follow in the way of Christ may mourn and grieve for a loss, as people who live in faith, we know that those who have departed, we will see again because they have placed their faith in life, in the one who folded the napkin and said, death, you lose. In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.